Curiosity can be such a powerful force when tapped into and directed. It drives us to explore, discover, create, and best of all, connect with each other. And where my curiosity has led me is to one connection with my good friend, Andre Amatuni. He's a joy to hang out with for many reasons, and one of them being his seemingly unlimited curiosity. And I love that because whenever we talk and get together, it seems like we just have this back and forth that feeds off of each other because we're both just, we just want to know. We want to figure out what's, what the hell's going on here, you know, and it's so much fun. So please join us as we discuss our curiosities, among other things. This is what lies between a qualitative inquiry into whatever the fuck it is we're doing here. And I hope you enjoy. Sort of thing. All right. But yeah. Where are the cameras? That's the camera? That's the camera. Okay. I don't know. Have you been listening to it on like... No, I've been watching it. You've been watching it? Okay. Yeah. Because I'm sure you noticed the last couple have been... Yeah. You changed it to have both people in front. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it a little bit better. Getting a little nervous. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I sense a, a little nervous energy, yeah. but we can, we can just like settle into it. I don't know it. what to do with my hands. Well, like, I feel like that's like a, that's the hard part about like, you can't really ignore that there's all this stuff involved, but at the same time, like we're friends and we can just, we're just sitting here chatting, you know, and I imagine whatever will come of it will be lovely. (laughs) Okay. So we've established that you're, that you're a little nervous, but beyond that, how are you feeling in general? Good. I mean, I've been having uh, trouble sleeping, which is not great, but that's slowly getting better. I like cut out coffee. Almost entirely (laughs) for like a week and a half, no coffee or any caffeine whatsoever. And that was rough, but then it became really nice. Um, and then I like slowly eased my way back into like white tea and like green tea. Mm -hmm. And that's been pretty good. I feel like it helps. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's all this like caffeine energy in my neck. There's Mm. like all this like tension that like is not there anymore, which is good. Interesting. Yeah. That's like, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, Francesca actually told me about a time, I don't know how long ago it was, where she's quit like caffeine entirely. Mm-hmm. And she was like, for like a week or two, I was like depressed. Yeah. And it's is, a legit drug. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy, right? It's like a full blown withdrawal. Mm-hmm. It takes like at least four days to like start to really get out of it. And like, you're not like really out of it for at least like nine days or something like that. Yeah. <sighs> It's nice. It's definitely a very different state of mind. It's much more, um, I wouldn't say you have less energy, but you have like less random nervous energy, which is good. Mm, like, like maybe, uh, feeling it in your body less. And yeah, I mostly feel it in my body. I feel like that might be just like overdoing it and having it be like an everyday all the time sort of thing. It's less mm-hmm. of a mind thing. It's more just like it sits in your body, just like tensing all your muscles. And you're just <laughs> yeah. like constantly in the state of just like, you know, it's nice. Yeah, before my, my Yeah, yeah. I was going to say just before my interview yesterday, I was like, I drank like a bunch of coffee, did some work, drank some matcha. And before I was, I think the nervous energy of mm-hmm. going into that, because like generally I'm not too nervous about interviews because that's mm-hmm. like, I'm like. I feel like I can demonstrate like why I'm excited about something pretty saliently, but like, um, going into it, it's just like, you know, working up towards it, it's like, Oh God, now it's happening. And my body's like, this is about yeah. to happen. And I felt like sick and I feel like the caffeine did not help with that. In yeah. The least it's bit. like that mix of adrenaline and caffeine. They both like 
pair together not <laughs> oh, very nicely yeah 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 that's uh um you'd mentioned you mentioned something about feeling in your neck like yeah. that's like how, how did you first start noticing that and i don't know like i've always had like upper back like neck sort of like pain and like just like stiffness and like a general shitty feeling and i've only recently realized part of that is due to caffeine because i feel like because I, like, spent a lot of time in front of the computer, so it's a lot of, like, this sort of mm-hmm. thing. And just, like, having all these muscles, like, constantly contracted and just, like, in that state. Something about the caffeine and the posture is, like, mixed together in some weird way. And they just, like, reinforce each other. Uh, yeah, I mean. Intense sort of way. Yeah, talking about the, like, the uh, tenseness that caffeine brings to it. And then, like, being in that restricted, yeah. in the, like, or that position where your muscles are then, like, uh. A tense in a tense position yeah, yeah. as well those things like compounding together yeah i feel like the caffeine is almost like uh kind of like blinds you to the fact that that's an unnatural position to be in for hours <laughs> on end so it's like this it's not like a painkiller but it's like a mm-hmm. mind distractor from the awkwardness of that position so like mm-hmm. it lets you stay in that state for longer and when you just like spend hours and hours hopped up on caffeine just like this <laughs> yeah it's like yeah it takes a toll yeah. Yeah. And, um, I imagine also because your entire body feels tense, like on mm-hmm. caffeine, you know? Yeah. So it's like, where's the contrast if you're just, you know, yeah. in that position. And did you, you started noticing that like, um, in getting off of caffeine, you notice like it's starting to relax or. Yeah. Cause I, I would get a lot of like tension headaches. I would like start like, like at the base of the skull. I forgot what it's called. Like these muscles that uh-huh. are like, I couldn't help you make there. the skull do this. <laughs> so I was just like really tense there and then noticing that that's going away. I was like, oh, that's probably that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Well, where I, uh, the big, uh, big broad question I want to ask you is first of all, I want to preface it with like one of the things I really enjoy about you and what I've learned about you in our friendship so far is that you are, you strike me as someone who is very curious and very like you inquire, I mean, you are a researcher, like, so that I imagine that that speaks to that, but I'm curious what, there it is again. I'm curious of what, um, curiosity means to you and how it's like, how that has manifested into that, what I perceive as you being a curious person now, you know? Yeah. I don't know how much is curiosity and how much is like, ADD, <laughs> just like <laughs> okay. this, like constant, just like shifting attention to different things. I definitely have probably some kind of undiagnosed ADD or something. Um, but to the extent that there's curiosity in there, it probably has to do with like uh, an interest in building things. <clears throat> so I really like sort of like making stuff and like crafting them and designing things. Um, and in the process of making things, you have to like really understand how the things work. Mm-hmm. Cause like, if you don't really know how something works, they, the thing ends up like breaking or failing or depends on what you're making. Like some things don't require as much of a, you know, attention to like the function of things as other things. Uh, it's kind of abstract, but like <laughs> we like abstract here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just like enjoy sort of like getting a sense of things and seeing how everything fits together as part of some like larger whole. And in the process of making things, you really have to um, really see all the parts in their sort of um, the way in which they serve 
their function as part of like the meshwork of the whole. And I really like that process of mm. just like going from the really minute to the holistic sort of like whole and just like getting a sense of, um, you know, how it all fits together, whether that's like some physical thing or like some, like I write a lot of code. So like code is very much like that. Like a mm. large program is composed of very, a ton of really small programs, like all these functions calling each other. Um, and each thing has its own role. And it has some function and it just like fits as part of this wider whole. Or if it's like thinking about people, like people are really complicated and like there's a lot say. of like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. probably the most complicated thing as far as I can tell. Um, like what are all of like the little bits and pieces that go into like um, a person and like what makes the wholeness of the person and what are all the parts that go into that. Um yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, and it's like you you combine both of those things by using your skills in um, programming, coding, that sort of thing, to then look at this very complex thing that is the human brain and what's going on there. Yeah, I'm curious of what um, what you can attribute that like, or when did you start noticing? That's how you like to think of things. I don't know. I think what helped was growing up kind of not in the best financial circumstances. So I didn't have like a ton of like toys and stuff. So I had to like make my own toys or like mm. really make a box go a long way. Like, you know, what kind of shit would you make? All sorts of stuff. Like I, I used to really want to be a bus driver. So I would like, <laughs> way. Yeah, what, what kid is like, I want to be a bus driver. Oh my God. I'm so glad this it's, came to the surface. It's very strange, but it seemed something about it was really appealing to me. Maybe it was like the really big wheel that you had to turn. And like, I think I really liked that they sat on this like hydraulic chair. Like, I don't know if they still have those in the current buses, but it was like these chairs that are like, really bouncy and they went yeah. up and down and it looked like a really fun thing to do and <laughs> as a five-year-old like, i was like that's what i want <laughs> so i'd like make a little bus at my house and i would just like sit there and just like like drive my little pretend bus so it was a lot of like pretend make-believe imagination sort of time yeah and yeah or i don't know yeah a lot of that sort of stuff i think i spent a lot of time just like making my own little like imaginary worlds and there's a certain um, sort of like building aspect to that. So you have to like build the bus or you have to like build whatever you're doing to like imagine these things. Mm -hmm. um, I also remember really liking maps. Hmm. Just like I used to collect maps and I used to like draw on them and like imagine where everybody was. And it was like very, I don't know if it was like autism or like some other thing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, those are those are just like those are just like labels of like yeah. symptoms, right? You know what I mean? Like Yeah. I think that's one of the things I've not liked about uh studying the brain and the mind is just like um part of the content you consume as part of that training. Like I'm not in like a clinical program, but I've spent a decent amount of time just like looking at um it's like a lot of clinical literature. So like consuming a ton of different descriptions of like clinical abnormalities and like saying, Oh, that kind of, I identify <laughs> like maybe I'm a little bit of that. Uh -huh. <laughs> a little bit of that. And I feel like that's not terribly helpful because, um, 
I think it's probably not terribly helpful in the clinical setting either. Um, I'm sure like some people uh, demonstrate more of certain um, characteristics and like uh, constellations of features that define some abnormality than others. But I feel like the actual um, the attributes of all of these things, like everyone can identify with a lot of them. So mm -hmm. it's very easy to sort of see yourself in these descriptions. And um, mm -hmm. to some extent it feels um, enlightening and that you kind of have like a word to describe some pattern of behavior or some like way of thinking. So you can be like, Oh, that's a little bit of that or like a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, they're very like reductive and I don't know. It, I don't know how helpful it is to think in those terms. Yeah. I love that you started talking about this because it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. It's actually this idea uh, like of conceptualization mm -hmm. is something that um, I'm trying to tie into my statement of purpose mm -hmm. and like is something that I that I think like and I say this loosely because it, it definitely requires more um, examination but like one of the things that I think a lot about is how like doing that is adaptive, like conceptualizing things is adaptive so that we can, we can label and be like, this is a resource. This is a threat. This is familiar. This is unfamiliar, like, mm -hmm. and be able to navigate our very complex, dynamic, dangerous worlds, right? Like we need to be able to do that. But at a certain level or a certain extent, if you like stop, stop somewhere with that and you're like, okay, these concepts that I've created are reality. Mm -hmm that's where you start getting into trouble. Like that's where we start like deciding like um, where someone can look at another human and based on these external features be like, okay, I'm labeling you, labeling you, labeling mm -hmm. you like, or uh, a diagnosis I'm labeling you. And now that's all you are. Mm -hmm. And when we limit it to that, like then we're limiting ourselves who we and ourselves are infinite beings. Like we like, and I truly believe that and, and like every sense of the word and like, well, <laughs> I guess it, I guess it like, it really comes like the only thing we're limited by is our universe, you know, and our universe is infinite. So I just think about those things. And one of the things that I, uh, I think is a sort of solution, nah, a solution, maybe not, maybe isn't the right way to say it, but like a, um, practical way to think of it or a balanced way to think of it is to balance this chair, man. I'm over here sinking. <laughs> um, is to balance between like um, building up those concepts so we can like grasp and understand our world. Mm -hmm. And then, but also keeping in mind that like those are tools for survival. Those are tools for understanding what's going on or for us to be able to communicate for us to be, yeah, understanding and communications are two key parts of that I think, but then to stop there is detrimental to what is reality at the end of the day. Yeah. And it, <clears throat> it can be constraining. Like language itself is very constraining. I mean, you can look at language on a spectrum from like highly sort of rigid descriptive language to like very flowery poet poetic kind of freeform descriptions and see that they're both instances of language and description, but they're serving like a, a very different function and that there's a certain rigidity that comes to certain ways of describing things that end up impacting how you conceptualize things and how you think about things. And 
the on the other hand using language as like a in a more poetic way or like metaphorical way to sort of like sort of like reach beyond the like whatever is on the surface available to you so like to speak more metaphorically is to kind of um to like broaden the context in which you're operating in both like conceptually and just like from a descriptive sense that's why i don't know i i like to like that definitely appeals to me more in that it i always i don't know i'm always frustrated by speaking which is maybe why i have kind of like a apprehension to doing this sort of thing because i feel like whatever words i use are always you know not really getting what i would like to get across because they're they feel like limiting and i don't know because like speaking is like you have all these thoughts in your head and language is the tool that you use to sort of encode those thoughts in this format that we both share so language is kind of like a protocol if you know like uh, computers and protocols so like http is a protocol that like one computer can talk to another computer and they both speak http so they understand what to do when these bits go over the wire and language serves a similar sort of function in that you know we both know what apple means mm -hmm. but we all have our own um instances of apples that we've come across in our life we just share this uh, label and we assume I assume or everyone assumes that when I say Apple you get Apple on the other end so like you know the same way the bits go over the wire the sound comes out of my mouth goes in your ear and recreates the Apple in your head and I assume that everything I mean by Apple is what you get by Apple um, but I'm definitely more attracted to language that kind of um, the one way to put it is like more fuzzy language which is like more um sort of like it doesn't point to a particular like a highly distinct thing but it kind of sort of leaves an openness for the receiver to sort of like fill in the blanks like i don't know i've just been really fascinated by those that kind of use of language where it's like I definitely have a, like a strong sense of like what I mean when I talk in like a more loose sort of metaphorical way, but I know that however it's going to be received, there's a lot of room for the other person to sort of construct a much wider sense than whatever I might have pre-programmed in, um, in the description from the beginning, like how I meant it. Mm -hmm. And that is very interesting to me. And I just like really enjoy it because I feel like it, it's just like it's, there's more opportunity there for discussion because it's like it's less constrained. It's like more like expansive. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say that. Like that's uh, you you really like that because it it's almost like the it, it introduces more wiggle room to what I heard you say. Like with like whenever you're speaking, like there's more um, room for interpretation to get whatever you are trying to convey yeah. um, inaccurately than what you meant yeah but it uh but it also like i would agree i mean it's fascinating right like the um one of my favorite things is when someone throws in a metaphor about this like very abstract kind of difficult to ground thing mm 
mm-hmm. that we're talking about. And I'm like, Oh shit, that's exactly what that mm-hmm. is. Like, yeah. and it doesn't have the precision that like language can have in that, like, you know, maybe in like a, uh, sort of hard science sense that is like very certain and very, yeah. but like nothing's really all that certain. So it's like more attuned with life in a way. Yeah. It's almost like the way I think of it is kind of like cheating at language. It feels like language <laughs> is not meant to do this, but like we're making it do this thing that it wasn't originally meant for. Maybe it was meant for that. Like uh, that's a that's an interesting thing in itself because like it goes back to. I mean, I know you've read the Master and His Emissary, but they bring up the um, you know the debate of whether music or language came first. Yeah. And like when you think about how like. You know, I imagine sound in some form came before words, yeah. like communicating through sound and how much more broad and contextual and metaphorical and well, maybe metaphorical isn't the right word there, but contextual, definitely. Yeah. I mean, as far as that debate is concerned, I feel like almost definitely music came before. Like some people point to like songbirds and like they have their songs. Um and some people argue whether to what extent that is related to language. So people study uh, one common animal they study is zebra finches and their songs and using that as kind of like a model system for thinking about language, which, you know, I don't have too strong opinions about that. I think it's like an interesting scientific topic to explore, but I feel like just from a, just from like a practical perspective, it seems like language is something that would require more evolution or cultural evolution, if not like literal biological evolution. So it seems more likely that, you know, linking patterns of sound to emotional states and um, packaging those up and like remembering them and like having distinct songs that are sort of associated with particular um, states of mind or emotions would come before. Um, but that said, there's not many animals that have something that would approximate music. Birds are like the few sort of, uh, cases that you can point to and say like this in the animal kingdom is like an example of music. And that's evidence that it would precede, um, language as we think of it. I mean, whales too. Yeah, whales, yeah. dolphins, dolphins. But then, like, I don't know. With whales and dolphins, and I'm like speaking out of my depth here, it seems like they're. I always am, so. <laughs> it seems like that's more like languagey, though I don't know. Maybe birds are also more languagey. Okay, like, the, the, let me back up, back you up for a second then. What's, what are you, what, how do you distinguish music and language? Um, so. That's a great question. Um, so music, I mean, there's different ways of defining both of these things. You can Mm -hmm. think of one way to describe language is as what's called a combinatorial system where you have these symbols and they can form combinations and those combinations can convey meanings that are sort of, uh, compositions of their element parts and there's almost like this part of I would say the magic of language is that um, that composition and that potential for having something that's 
greater than the sum of its parts. So you have the parts and they have all these meanings, they signify certain things and they evoke certain meanings, but the composition of that string of words um, conveys something that's above and beyond whatever the individual parts uh, do. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain grammatical logic to it. So if I say like man bit dog versus dog bit man, like it's all the same words, but because of the order, it means completely different things. Mm -hmm. And that there's that kind of logic inherent to language where you have this uh, grammatical thing going on. Whereas with music, there's similar elements. So you have like notes and you have composition of notes and that can, you know, that can give you something greater than the sum of a part, some of its parts in that domain though. I think there's something unique about the the meaning that's composed in language that is different or distinct in a pretty significant way than in music. Though it's hard to like nail down what that difference is. Like I would have to think <laughs> more about that, read more about that. Yeah. There's people who spend a lot of time thinking about that, but yeah, because even as you're saying that, I'm just like, well. Um, cause I, I guess one of the things that I would think of that distinguishes it is, um, it's just, it's form, mm -hmm. you know, and that, um, and the, the depth of, um, you know, that whatever, um, is more than the sum of its parts, um, that depth being greater with music, like it conveys just more, um, and it's, and very, and it's more variable almost anyway, like I would think. And the, um, but then you take into, and then I start thinking, I start thinking about like melody and rhythm and how all those things like play into, but then even with uh, language, we have tone, intonation, the pace that like it all kind of like, it's almost like they're all, uh, they're all related, but they're just, they're on a different plane yeah. almost. And the elements are different in a pretty significant way in that you can pack a lot of meaning into the notes of language in the way that you might not be able to in music. So like, you know, if you had music that was just like composed of pure sine waves at different frequencies, so you can say that like C is like 440 Hertz or whatever, whatever it actually is. And then you have like D is like some other Hertz and then you compose these different things, but, and you get some melody, but the, the notes in, um, in language and being words, there's, it seems like there's a potential for much more meaning or signification. I don't know if that's a real word or like applicable in that context mm -hmm. in that you can like signify way more in a word than you can in a pure frequency. But then you can say like with music, you can have like trumpets and you can have like all these different instruments and they have all their different flavors and the timbre of the instruments give you different um, feelings and all this sort of thing. But I would still say there's probably just an inherent greater complexity to language and like what you can pack into every note of this like linguistic song or like string of symbols. Hmm. Well, so that's coming. <laughs> it's like, it's like some, sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's not. And today it's just acting up, but no, that's a fascinating one. And I, and it's funny cause I, as I, I was working on my personal statement today and I'm reaching this point where I'm like kind of tripping up on like, how, how do I, how do I talk about my experiences without being like, I did this, I did this, like mm -hmm. I did this. So, I, and I haven't looked at anyone else's uh, personal statement 
up until now because I wanted to like create it. I wanted it to like be entirely my own and just like figure it out. And now I'm looking back and I looked at yours and yours is a lot about language. And I know, I know that you like, you had said that you wish you had done it a yeah, lot differently, right? Totally differently. Yeah. How, actually, I'm curious, how would you do it differently? Uh, I don't know. I would have definitely focused more on the people I was applying to work with and what they were working on and what experience I had that might lend to working on their projects just from like a purely pragmatic sense. I think that would have been more successful than my statement, which was more of kind of like a, I don't know how to describe it. It was more like, here's all these things that I think about and I think are cool and interesting. And I've like didn't done some work that's like touching on these concepts. It was more it was more like self-indulgent in like a unproductive way, I would say, hmm. which I don't know. I, I'm maybe being too hard on it and it's been a while since I've read it, but it felt kind of like, I don't know. It, I feel like it would have been more successful if I had focused more on the people I was going to work with and like what, how I could um, contribute to whatever projects they were working on. Why do you think it got, you got accepted anyway? I don't know. <laughs> so part of it is probably just like technical ability. So like being able to write code at like a mm-hmm. decently proficient level. Like that's pretty attractive, particularly in psychology. Like there's not as much expertise or like skill on that front, though it's like becoming more and more sought after and cultivated in that field. Um, I think at the time it was probably pretty attractive mm. um, to the people that did accept me. Um, and like the things I would think I was being self-indulgent about, I think are of generally not like super wide interest, but there are people who are interested in the things I was interested in and that probably caught their eye um, to some extent. Because yeah, also like in reading it, I read, like a lot of what you were talking about um was out of depth for me and in terms of like things that like I think it maybe was the language and um I don't know I just got the sense that like you really had this depth of understanding of this thing like to a pretty high degree yeah I feel like the more time I've spent studying these things the less and less understanding I have (laughs) which is kind of what the fuck is going on there (laughs) (laughs) I'm just getting like deeper and deeper into confusion Um, I don't know. It's, I think to some extent, like, like I definitely had some sense of what was going on, but I feel like I had like a overly confident sense of the breadth of the problem. Um, what do you mean by the breadth of the problem? Like, I feel like I felt like I had things worked out way more than I do now. Mm -hmm. Like, I think... I don't know. I, I really like theory. Uh, I forgot who said this, but the quote goes something like, there's nothing more practical than a good theory. Because usually... <laughs> it's so ass backwards. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like the general thinking is that like practical things are like, you know, engineering and like building things and like theory is like all hoity-toity and sort of up in the clouds and not really grounded to reality. Yeah, people love to turn their nose up at theory, I feel like. Yeah. And... But in reality, I feel like if you have a really good theory, there's really nothing more practical than a good theory. Like if we didn't have, you know, Newton's laws of gravity, 
and motion. You didn't have kinematics. You couldn't get people on the moon. And, like, no amount of just, like, tinkering at the margins, like, trying to engineer a space shuttle or whatever is going to get you to the moon if you don't have theory of, you know, gravitation and how things move. And, like, all these sort of, like, really uh, abstract theories about how all that works allows you to make really fast advances in engineering problems and really practical things in a way that if you were to just blindly sort of tinker around and try to like figure it out, sort of like trial and error, move Mm -hmm. your way through these things, that's like really inefficient. And you're just like the potential for like walking around in circles is really high there because you have no sort of um, principled, reason for choosing one direction or another apart from like oh shit that last thing i did failed so maybe let me do something else but like the thing that you're going to do next is like your rationale for choosing the next thing isn't guided by some like fundamental principles or like what you might call a theory like we have a theory of like how things work and that is going to guide our um our search or whatever we're doing yeah no, it's, I feel like this relates strongly to what we kind of started off talking about a little bit. And um, like when I was talking about like conceptualization and um, how it's how it's limiting, because I feel like um, like the practical matters, the, the stuff that like makes things actually happen in this world are um, hugely useful they make it real right like and theory doesn't do that on its mm-hmm. own but those two things like working together are so powerful yeah. and otherwise like you would you like you're saying you would be stuck spinning your wheels but if you're um just busy like thinking about stuff all the time and not doing anything then you're just then you're doing nothing at the end of the day yeah and i feel like theory like like one way to think about it is just like thinking for the sake of thinking or just like some kind of like, um, like, like free form, like thought. This is like the slam poetry of thinking that like, you're just like sort of like wigging it. But like in reality, at least in the physical sciences or like the mathematical sort of a computational world, like theory has like a very, um, definite and like rigid format and that's math and like computation and i think like if we didn't have those tools like if you know if we didn't have like those mathematical tools theory would be very it would be no more than philosophy which has value but it doesn't have the same sort of leverage that it allows you that math and computation does and that you know there's a certain rigidness to math that allows you to sort of like um, go from just like pure thought to landing someone on the moon in a way that no amount of just verbal argumentation in like some loose philosophical sense will get you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something kind of magical about that. And like, why does math work the way it does? Like, why is it so, um, why is it so real? while at the same time being so like ephemeral and sort of like, these are just like ideas. Mm-hmm. It's just like, we're talking about like geometry and it's like, these are circles. It's like, does a circle exist or is it just like an idea? <laughs> I don't know. This is kind of like, yeah. 
that's going way beyond my depth. Like, I, I feel like I, that's like, that's, um, that's a level of theory that, um, goes down to like such a, like, um, uh, like the minute details of like the parts of the world. Whereas like, I, I think my brain operates more at a level of like, like psychological theory where it's like, I can relate it more to like, um, the interactions I have with people and like my own, my own sort of, uh, experiences with myself and what I notice about myself and that like, but they, my thinking is that there's crossover between like what we're talking about in theory versus pragmatics and that as well. Like, I, so, like, I would really like it to be the case. I don't know if I would even like it to be the case. I have a hunch or, like, a sense that you can describe the mind and the brain computationally or mathematically in the same way that you would, you know, balls rolling down hills. You can, like, describe it as, like, a mathematical system that obeys the logic of math. Um, though, like, clearly there's a gap between the language of math and like the richness of experience. Um, But so much of, maybe this is just like an artifact of the, um, just like the history of neuroscience in particular, that there's like a, you are able to describe the functions of neural systems as computational units and as computations being performed by some system. You like describe neurons and describe how they interact and you can say that, you know, this is going to follow um, this particular behavior because you can make some assumptions, you can set up the system and see that, oh, this system is actually following, uh, you know, it's following these principles and behaving in this particular way because it's constrained in these this particular fashion. Um, and there's a lot of sort of evidence in that regard. But then the question is like, if you're talking about, I would say, if you're talking about perception, um, that has come a long way. And you can describe a lot of perception, just like purely mathematically. Um, but then when it gets to more sort of high level things like you know desires hopes and dreams like interpersonal relationships all the social stuff it becomes a little difficult to operationalize like how would you map on these experiences to some like mathematical description and i don't know if there's like a sort of a hard limit to how much you can you know how hard you can push math to describe these things. But I feel like one advantage to that is that then it affords a level of control and understanding. And both of those things are, they're not the same thing. Like just because you can control something doesn't mean you understand it. Mm -hmm. But I think math allows you um, leverage into both of those problems in a way that, um, is very attractive to me and that like you can get a really definitive sense of like how something is functioning mm-hmm. and, like why it's functioning that way. Like could have been differently. And if it was differently, why would like would it function differently? All that being said, um, I think 
like those tools are very limited for understanding the more sort of everyday real world the depth uh, of the human experience yeah yeah which is kind of like frustrating to me because <laughs> why is that because i would like i would like before i die to have a better sense of how the mind works how people work and i feel like there's a certain um there's a certain squishiness to language like as we've talked before like mm -hmm. even the most um definite and like rigid clinical descriptions they leave a lot on the table and are not actually characterizing the whole in a way that i think is giving the subject it's like due credit that there's a lot left on the table and it's not like you can describe like talking about like clinical things like um you know add or like schizoaffective disorder or something like that like you can describe these conditions very sort of you know unemotionally and like very clinically and very sort of like hard nose no metaphors or just like describing it as we see it mm -hmm. but then it's just like you're really not describing the whole thing and it's unclear to me if you can um if you're missing a lot by doing it that way and i feel like there's a lot of room for disagreement in a way that there isn't in math like i think disagreement and debate is really great in a lot of ways but in other ways it's really counterproductive in that like you're not making advances on a particular subject you're kind of just like walking in circles and like philosophers arguing about the same thing for like millennia like thousands of years just like arguing about the same thing like there's no way to actually come to a conclusion about certain questions because it's always like well i think this and i think that and like i think the words you're using are the wrong words and like i'm going to redefine these words this way and i'm going to sort of like play all these linguistic games so as to continue um the enterprise of just like describing and redescribing and debating and sort of like not actually coming to any conclusion and i would like to come to some conclusions and not just sort of like redescribe the same thing in different words and sort of like i don't know i have all these hang-ups about language like i think in that context like it can be very helpful i think like clinical psychology is very useful and i can help a lot of people but i also feel like there's a certain like incompleteness to it and that like i would like a complete description of something but then like if you look at physics it's like it's not complete like we have newton's laws you have you know einstein and quantum mechanics and those things aren't complete or describing things to completion there's all these sort of incompatibilities and people are working on trying to get a better description so there's always this further there's always another theory like mm -hmm. beyond the horizon that isn't like the one you have now like the one you have now is incomplete and doesn't actually describe everything i think there's holes in it so i don't know it's kind of just like a i don't know if it's like legitimate or um reasonable for me to like want this sort of like completeness to certain things i don't know a lot of thoughts <laughs> like <laughs> no uh, i i'm curious first of all like do you think that completeness of understanding is even possible in certain domains i mean in like pure math you can like completely understand a circle 
and like why it is what it is like why it behaves in the ways that it does like if you do like certain operations on a circle you know like why it's going to behave the way it's going to behave once you start talking about the physical world like things get a little squirrely yeah i guess that's what i'm what i'm talking about like like because yeah like you were talking a lot about like yeah we can using that understanding that math does allow us it does allow us to do a lot of things in this world right but in the sense of like understanding the wholeness of this of this world and us and that sort of thing i'm almost sure that it's impossible but i really don't like that like part of me just like would like the world to be complete in a way that the conceptual world at least in the world of mathematics can be complete in certain ways although there are yeah there are ways in which math is incomplete too there's like a a theorem i think it was from like the 30s or 40s called uh girdle's incompleteness theorem it basically shows that like whatever system of math you have you can't sort of prove certain statements that are within that system like it's impossible to get to certain um so you can you can think of math as kind of like this tapestry of you have some axioms and then like you can have sorry you can like deduce all of these truths about that system by sort of like turning the crank of deductive reasoning and saying if i do this and i do that i'm going to end up here so like there are certain here's that you can't get to from like having this particular system like wherever you define your axioms um like there's a, there's a certain incompleteness there that there are certain things that are true but are not provable from within the that very same system. So in that sense, there's a kind of incompleteness even in that realm. But I don't know. I, don't know, I have all these like hangups about like wanting to get to the bottom of things and feeling like they're like out of reach in a way that I would rather they not be. But what would it, what would it do to have them within reach? Like, what do you, what do you think the world would look like um, if we did have complete understanding of everything? Actually, let me back up. What do you, let's talk about like what understanding means. Yeah. I mean, that's a big question. I don't know what understanding means. I mean, it depends on who you ask. You could. I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like a. Well, what do you th- what do you think? Part of it, and this is not the whole of it, I think part of it is an ability to use knowledge. There's like a pragmatic aspect to it. So like if you understand, I keep going back to like physics and math, but like that's not like what I work on, but it's it's like a very useful domain to think Mm -hmm. about examples. So like if you understand certain things about like math and physics, then you can like use it to build bridges or like put people on the moon. So there's like a pragmatic element to it that you can actually use this knowledge in the real world so to the extent that the knowledge that you contain in your head is sort of exertable in the real world i think there's a certain level of understanding there that like if the stuff that you stuff your head with sort of doesn't help you sort of get your aims completed so like i want to get from here to there let's say i want to get from like earth to the moon that's like a goal and like I have all this stuff in my head, can I use the stuff in my head to make that a reality? And I think understanding, like the ability to cross that chasm is one measure of understanding. Um, and you can think of it in more real world uh, circumstances where like you have interpersonal relationships, 
maybe there's some like problem you're like i would like to get from here where there's a problem to there where there's no problem or like things are fixed so like my understanding is part of uh what will make that happen or not happen and so like to the extent that i understand the state of affairs that like determines my ability to make that a reality to like bring something that's a potential or like a desire or some aspiration and like bring that down to earth and actually manifest it. So like, if I don't understand things, I'm going to fuck things up. Or if I do, I have a better chance of, you know, getting it done. But then what will we do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like that's a question like, of like desires and like, like what do we want to do? Like, what do we even, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I know it, it gets really, it gets really complex. Cause like, I don't know. There are, um, like when I think about, um, like Eastern perspectives on like, um, especially like the, the sort of the folks that are on that really deep meditative path of like oneness with the universe sort of thing. Like one of the things like that's part of that is letting go of you and like, and, and all of that. And, um, and being content with just existence and just, and just being here in the present moment all the time. Um, and there's no room for like purpose and all those things. And I, that doesn't sit well with me because my ego is like, (laughs) like, I like to do that stuff. Like, that's the thing that makes me feel really alive when I'm, when I'm start to gain some understanding and I'm like, Oh, like I can do something with this. I can, I can, um, maybe help some people with this. I can build something with this or, I can, uh, learn some, some, I can use this to then leverage and to leverage it, to learn even more about myself. But the, I think whenever I start considering, um, completeness of understanding, I'm just like, that sounds like a really boring place to live. Like, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think because I am at a point in my life where like curiosity, exploration, exploration, and all those things are just like, infinitely fascinating and i love it i love just the process of it you know the outcomes are cool and all that and um and i want those outcomes to help improve other people's lives but at the same time one of the things that gets me out of bed every day and keep doing this stuff is and despite the outcomes being so far away is that the process is great yeah i definitely hear that and can sympathize with that drive I think part of my sort of desire for completeness is just looking around and seeing a lot of things being fucked up and being like, you know, things could be otherwise that like, like to what extent is, you know, the shortcomings of the world, a product of a lack of understanding or a lack of attention, a lack of awareness I don't know. It's kind of a tenuous link between sort of understanding in like a scientific sense and the problems of the world. But I think the motivation is partly stems from, from that sense and that like, you know, things could be better and like, so in that sense, they feel incomplete and that it's, I don't know. This might be just like a cognitive bias and feeling like 
like we haven't gotten to where we need to go because clearly there are so many loose ends here. There are so many problems, you know. I don't know. See, I would argue that we're exactly where we need to be right now because hmm. it's the only place we could be right now. And I, I, I know that's not satisfying. Like, <laughs> it's not like, and, and, and maybe that's also, not maybe it certainly is a product of like the way that I, conceptualize things and think about things in order to make me feel okay about my existence and move through the world in a way that makes me feel okay about being here. Yeah. I don't know. Man. It's really hard for me to like accept the way things are. Like I, I spent a decent amount of time reading the sort of like Eastern mysticism Eastern philosophy, and I, I definitely resonate with a lot of the, um, to put it crudely, like go with the flow, become one with the processes of the world, like, you know, to vibe with the Tao, like the way that the world is, or the way that the world becomes, and all of these kind of notions. But I think I've just been like too traumatized by like watching the world and like watching, you know, people, you know, not having a good time. Cause like, I mean, to do anything, you have to be motivated. Like for example, in you working with people to like help better their lives, mm -hmm. like why not just let them like do what they're doing and just like leave things as they are. Like you must have a sense of like, you know, things could be better mm -hmm. and like it is within your power to change your current circumstances. And like part of that is like awareness and skills and, you know, cognitive changes that can allow you to find yourself in a better position. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, like how do you square away those, those two things? I'm glad that you asked because <laughs> that's like, that's something I'm, I'm working, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate, but maybe being asked it here will help with that. So I think it really goes back to what I was talking about before and the balances between like the conceptualization thing and recognizing that we are infinite. Um, I can't help but conceptualize and do all these things and want to manipulate my environment and, and take action and have be an active participant in this environment. Like it, it is a, it's part of what has gotten me to this point, you know, it's part of what keeps me alive. Um, and I certainly have not reconciled with like letting go of ego and all that. Cause I don't know, I want to be in this world. I think it's, I think it at least like, the way that my experiences have led me is to a point of where I'm like, this place can be so fucking beautiful. But we also, part of that beauty is in a very existential, profound sense, accepting that like the things as they are right now are, are as they are and they can't be any other way right this second mm -hmm. because they are. But what I can do and what I want to do is I, cause I do like, I, Oh, i resonate so strongly with like there, there, there's lots of fucked up shit going on in this world. And I want everyone to have the opportunity to see what I'm talking about. Like, cause I don't think it's like, 
like my circumstances and experiences happen to lead me in there. Not to say like, I just went with the flow entirely. I think I am an active participant in that, but like, um, I didn't choose where I was born. I didn't choose many of the experiences that I was exposed to. So it's like, I think the majority of our existence is like, we are forced to go with the flow. We can't, we don't control very much. I really think we don't control very much. I would agree with that. Yeah. And it's like, it's fucking frustrating. It sucks. Right. Like, especially when you see so much suffering and you're like, we could do some shit about it. It doesn't have to be this way, mm. but you know, it's like the, I think the thing that helps me reconcile with it is getting worked up about those things every moment of all the time and not saying that that's what you're doing, but like focusing on that does not help me figure out how to solve the problem. What helps me solve the problem is me accepting that what I, the pre, accepting the present moment in its fullness. And that is accepting that there is some fucked up shit going on right here in this very moment. Mm. And I don't like that. I don't approve of it, but I accept it. Mm. And I think that's a huge distinct distinction there, like approval and acceptance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's flexible. It's dynamic, just like the world, you know, like I think it's being, it's having a congruence with like the way I act in this world and, um, reality in a way. How do you think of the ego? You've used that term at least twice now. Yeah. I'm wondering like, what's your, what's your sense of it? I've never really defined it. Um, but I think it's the, it's the, I, it's the, it's the thing that is, um, God, that get as soon as I started to answer that, I'm like, holy shit, that gets complex. Um, I think the ego maybe at its core is like, um, the desire to be alive as this, you know, like that's, um, like specifically to be living or to, what do you mean by alive to be alive as this? Uh, yeah, to be living in this like body and this, okay. like this, this vessel of mine that is, that is like, if I die, like I, I'm, I'm one who like I, my particles and all those things will become part of our ecosystem. Right. But I will, that, what is, will this existence right now will never be ever again and never has been before. Mm -hmm. So in that like unique, like, um, combination of all the parts of me is that drive to keep that um, whatever it means to be alive going in that sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Do you feel like there is multiple senses of the term? Or when you think of it, do you think of it like mostly in that sense? Uh, I guess it depends on the context because you can, like, I think... Um, like we throw around like egotistical and all that stuff or like, um, I don't know. I think at, at its core, it really, it, it is that, um, but I think it's used in different contexts or at least like I've heard it used and I'm like, that doesn't sound exactly like the way that I think about it. Um, but it's, it's like, it is and it isn't at the same time. You know, yeah. how do you think about it? I, don't know. I, I would say probably in both of those senses you just described, like the ego as the sense of self and like, uh, you know, the idea that 
we are persistent so like at every moment of time where you can think of us as like a, a bag of atoms there's like moving through time and you have a different set of atoms every like i don't know what it is seven or eight years you have a fully new set of atoms so like are you the same oh, I person didn't, i didn't know that yeah there's mm. like uh there's some like philosophical term for this i think it was like theseus ship or something like that where the idea is that like there's this ship in like the greek harbor and whoever's telling the story is asking the question like you know if we change one of the boards on this ship like is that the same ship and like the answer is yeah well of course it's the same ship and then it's like mm. what if we keep changing all of the boards and I've like after a while it's all of the boards that are on that ship are not the boards that were you know beforehand and like is this the same ship so like what defines the identity of the ship is it the boards or is it like you know i think my answer would be is like the pattern like the, the pattern is the same so in different contexts that can mean different things so like I don't know with like biological organisms the pattern is like some combination of like proteins and stuff i don't know but like there's some something that's persistent across time whereas other things are changing mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know how i got into this what we were just talking about um uh, like yeah. ego and yeah yeah, yeah what yeah. that means so like there's that sense and that like the identity of like being aware of that pattern so like even though you're like not aware that like none of the atoms that make you up are the ones that made you up 15 years ago like that isn't what you're conscious of you're conscious of this like general pattern of you persisting and it's like being um sort of wedded is a strong term but like very tightly aligned to the preservation of that um that self um and that means like taking actions in the world that serve that pattern um and that can lead to sort of the more egotistical sense of like acting so as to only serve the perpetuation of um that self but yeah there's like very much two senses at least two senses that I, that I would think of um you know that's really interesting because I think it, it brings to the surface the idea of like the self <clears throat> as the um, amalgamation of all the physical things that we can like pin down or is there something greater that we just can't perceive that like goes beyond what we understand about biology, all those things. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that I think about like metaphor and music, yeah. like in the sense that those, those, um, those things that are unsaid, but understood, but are experienced, you know, like there, I've just had many times in my life. And and again, this, this is going to be, or not again, but this, this is going to sound like something I feel like you could conceptualize in, um, biological, physiological, psychological, and, um, all, you know, physical terms. Right. But I'm of the mind that like all the of all the vast knowledge that we have accumulated as humans, we don't know a fucking shit, I would agree. nothing about like the vastness of the universe. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. So I would I would say that like like I just had experiences where I'm like 
this doesn't make any fucking sense in the language that I have, but I know it. Like I know, I know whatever I felt like is like, there's something there. Like there's something, um, I mean, I was, I talked, I, I think it was Francesca. I was talking that I've talked to several people about this, but like just having, um, very powerful emotional experiences and them meaning so much more than like the, the thought or whatever, like the, the immediacy of the moment. Like it's, it's like an amalgamate and like, it's an amalgamation of like everything that makes me part of this world. And like, um, and it, and maybe, and maybe it's a, uh, like, I, I tend to go back to like, maybe it's, it has something to do with like hearing in the past people talk about like singularity oneness and all that sort of thing. Um, but that, where the fuck did that come from? Like it had to have like comes from somewhere at some point that like someone interpreted this feeling that maybe isn't the exact same thing that I am, but like in some way took in this information or had this moment where I'm like, where they're like, we are one. And I've had experiences where I'm like, I'm like, beyond beyond like the words to describe it it's just like it's a knowing and i, I don't it's and, and and that's the thing is it's not it's not i can't talk about it like everything that i'm saying does not begin to even touch like what that like what actually happened mm. is it any of this making sense yeah perfect sense yeah <laughs> yeah i think part of my um sort of like drive towards like finding completeness is like having sense, like intuiting those kind of, um, those kind of things where you see the oneness of things and that part, maybe I'm like drawing in like, like a, a tangential relationship between the two things, but like this idea between uh, oneness and like completeness. So like the idea that, you know, rather than conceptualizing things as being fragmented and disparate and like separate, but like seeing there, going back to how we started off this conversation, like how these parts are interwoven into this singular uh, one whole. Um, and just like thinking like, like if that is a, a real thing, then like, is that understandable? Like, can we understand this? oneness or whatever this whole is can we like mm-hmm. is it possible to describe it or to understand it or you know that's why i oh sorry go ahead i was just gonna say like that's why i asked you what understanding was because mm-hmm. i part of me is like there's different levels to it like there's understanding and like we can talk about it we can describe exactly what it is but i think there's also understanding of like what i was just talking about with mm-hmm. like I couldn't talk to you much about in, in a very uh, concise or, um, you know, comprehensive way that that actually conveys the wholeness of what I'm talking about. But I understood it in those moments. You what know? do you mean by understanding? I'll flip that around to you. Yeah, like, that's what's your sense. Of it's it? so hard to describe. It's it's it's. Um, but I would I, I can give it a shot. It's like every 
bit of information and sensation and everything that I am able to perceive in that moment points to a direction and, and like, it doesn't come to me in word form, but there's a feeling of like, I see you, hmm. you know, like, and, and that's, and it usually manifests itself as like, oh, these like, um, like I have these moments of just like laugh crying like <laughs> where, where I'm like, oh, it like resonates so deeply in, um, in many different like, um, buckets of like emotional emotion or, um, emotional stimulation that is like bubbling to the surface. But then the overarching theme is it's like, that's insane. Like, and I start laughing about it. Mm. I don't know. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's, there's a lot, it's like, there's just a lot going on. And I, and I think that those moments, um, I, I don't know. I just, I can't, I can't sit here. I, I think it would be insane of me to have those moments and be like, that's just hormones. Mm. Like that's just neurotransmitters. That's just this. It's like, I think that's, that's, um, their, uh, moments of like where we can, we can touch a little bit with our language, but we just do not have the language. We, our mode of, our mode of communication is not adequate to properly like capture it. Yeah. Does that make sense though? Yeah, it does make sense. Have you had any moments like that or do you, does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, I've had like bigger and smaller moments of that sort. Um, I think those kind of moments are honestly kind of what, uh, drove me into thinking about language a lot, um, because it it feels like, like I'm not particularly interested in language, but I'm very interested in meaning and like, what does it mean for things to mean things and like understanding like these questions, like I don't have any answers. This goes back to what I said earlier, like the more time I spend thinking about these things, the less I feel like, right. <laughs> and like I would like to understand meaning and understanding. And there are some senses in which I can understand them. And like, and that really boils down to kind of physical reductionist sort of accounts of like the same way you might understand how like, you know, chat GPT understands certain things or mm-hmm. like if you, like take, take chat GPT and like add sensory inputs. So it's like seeing and feeling and touching and smelling and whatnot. So it's like really just like a computation. So you're like binding experiences to abstract structures that are like instantiated in that case, in this like big computer with a lot of connections, which is like an artificial neural network. But then you can say the same thing is going on in humans where we have just like this big, you know, huge network in our brains and it's like making all these connections and it's like grounded to the real world and like meaning and understanding is some process that, um, you know, binds experiences to certain structures in your mind. Um, but I think what you're talking about has, there's like a, a sense in which understanding that has evaded me at least from like a, in a way that I can like really talk um, cogently about, I think there's a sense in which um, 
like one word that comes to mind is clarity and that there's like a sort of like clarity of understanding of that wholeness that I don't know how to translate that clarity to like a sort of how to describe that in like a a mechanistic or sort of like scientific sense I don't know if that like should be a goal to begin with but like that was or is my goal um, to some extent but yeah I don't know so like as I said, like language isn't something I'm terribly interested in, but like it seems like one example of like a domain where we find meaning or like we deal with meanings. Mm-hmm. And like insofar as I'm interested in those sort of like like what you're more of what you're describing is like that sort of awareness, this sort of like like whole understanding. Of just like something just like becoming plain to you and like it has an emotional component it has like a cognitive component it has like almost like a visual component but it's like almost like super visual i don't know if you've had this experience it's like there's certain like where you can like see things like maybe this is just like like our linguistic metaphors going into like getting factored into our understanding. So like when say someone says like, like, Oh, I see now, like, mm. like well, what they're saying is like, I understand now, but like understanding and like linking that to a vision. Like, I think there is like a real sense in which there is a visual component to that. Um, there, but it's not like explicitly visual. It's almost like a, like in your mind's eye, you've sort of, you've sort of like observed um, something. So there's like, there's almost like an observation is happening and that's linked to the understanding. Um, I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling here. No, it's, I mean, it's all really related. Like, cause I think um, I really need to read the master and his adversary because I've listened to it, but I feel like that's a lot of the things that um, the author speaks to in that about like grasping mm-hmm. and because um, I think it there's a whole chapter like that where he talks about you know seeing like that that philosophical uh, or that that concept from a philosophical standpoint, a language standpoint mm-hmm. sort of thing. Or do you? I know it's been a while since you've read it's it, been but so long. yeah. But it's interesting that like it has been so long, and like a lot of the things that um, we're talking about, I feel like speak to that because it's almost like uh, like a lot of that that understanding, that grasping, that. Um, wanting to be able to use this in order to manipulate, to be able to, and manipulate. And I I feel like that always comes across like an icky word, but manipulate our environments Mm -hmm. and um, accomplish goals, do all that um, where uh, that's the left hemisphere where the right hemisphere is just like, things are just like happening Mm -hmm. and we're like, and um, it's the hemisphere of connection and all those sort of things and, and wholeness, oneness. And I feel like, that's I, and maybe it's the ideas of the, this book. I, I mean, I feel like they're strongly associated, but like when it comes to like, like that's the other sense of understanding. There's grasping, and then there's like the wholeness of the understanding, which is not conceptualizable. Like 
at least in with our language um, or and I think the only language that touches it at all is music or art um, well maybe maybe music in particular just because it is art itself like visual art can do a lot but I feel like music has the ability at least for me and my experience has the ability to like trigger those sort of moments of like understanding where I'm like oh fuck there's that like you know and it's hard it's like i i'm impressed as like how much we're able to talk about this because it's a like and i I think that's one of the things here actually let me just share this one of the thoughts that kind of like popped into my head as you're talking about like you and i'd be such a powerful combination of researchers i feel like like well whenever i'm actually fully educated in this shit that'd be fun because like i don't know i feel like you you have such a like a uh, gift for like taking these really complex things and like talking about them in a very um, com- uh, uh, understandable way. Like, cause I don't, I'm not super familiar with a lot of the things that you're talking about, but I'm like, I, I think I understand you. Like I definitely get it. And it's like, um, that's nice to hear because I feel like I'm like rambling in like an incoherent. Sort you of way. say that before, like, but you are so like, and maybe that's, maybe that contributes to it. Cause like you have this, you have the sense that like, it sounds like you have the sense that like you are never, um, expressing yourself or articulating your thoughts in a way that is like, that is, that actually satisfied or actually like fully expresses what you're trying to say. Yeah. It often feels like, like I'm grasping for things that like I don't have a grasp on, like going back to the grasping metaphor. Like, mm. like I, I don't know. It's kind of interesting to like, you should try like reflecting on speech itself. Like when you're talking, like where are these ideas coming from? And like, how are you translating your ideas into language? And just like reflecting. It's like a pretty trippy sort of exercise. I was like, let me get done with my personal statement first. <laughs> and then <laughs> it's pretty far out. Cause it's like, is that something you've done? Oh, yeah, like way more than I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please <Yeah>. explain. <laughs> Cause like, I don't know. Like sometimes I feel like, um, it's like very automatic. Like when it's really automatic, it's kind of spooky because it's like, where are these things coming from? Um, like when languages or yeah, the things you're like the actually things I'm speaking. Saying, like when it's very deliberate and kind of like uh, difficult, it kind of makes more sense to me. Like I can think about like how you know I'm like setting up sort of like like maybe if I'm like describing. If I'm like describing how like a bicycle works, like I might like imagine a bicycle and like I see all the parts and like I can say like, oh, there's like a bicycle in my mind's eye. And I'm kind of just like attaching words to where my mind's eye is going around on this bicycle. Like I'm like seeing like, oh, here's the wheels and they're connected to the chain and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm describing how this bicycle works and I see that there's, you know, an actual bicycle in my mind that I'm translating this information from but then when it's kind of like really automatic and it's not like visually grounded in my mind it's kind of spooky to think about like where is this coming from like where are these ideas (laughs) it's like and i don't know it always there's a lot of the time there's a sense that like wherever those things are coming from like i can sense that they're like 
the translation is not that great and that there's like a with the bicycle example i can feel like oh i just described the bicycle because like i can see the bicycle and i can like um sort of like oh i did a good enough job there like there's not much you need to know more about this bike that's what it is but then with those sort of like less grounded things um there's a sense that like i don't know what the limits of those things are but it always feels like there is something more there but like i have no way of actually reflecting on what those things are and like my words are sort of like whatever makes it out is whatever makes it out and like it always feels like but there was actually more there like i don't know there's like this tension but isn't that isn't that what writing allows us to do yeah like taking like if you because you have you ever have you ever um like written extensively about these sort of like really abstract like ungrounded things no i have a very hard time writing it's like very painful to me like mm. it's just like fucking pulling teeth i cannot write like it's just like extremely painful process for me you chose the wrong fucking profession right. homeboy <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it i gotta write this manuscript that that's 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 funny to hear but like makes so much sense considering well it makes sense and it doesn't because like you actually no not it makes perfect sense because like knowing how much like like um i know that if you could you would just make music all the fucking you would spend all your time making music yeah it's way more fun right (laughs) yeah but then you're using those same i think you're using those same I want to, the phrase that comes to mind is cognitive capacity, but I just feel like that doesn't, doesn't touch it. But like those same mechanisms, whatever that allow you to be creative and enjoy that thing. Like you use those same things to like identify patterns and like figure out, like, um, and apply it to like research and like looking at like practical, practical issues and stuff like that. There's probably someone out there. Yeah. I don't know to what extent though. A lot of times it feels like, I don't know. I feel like five to 10% of what I do is like that kind of thing. And I like really love it and really thrive at that. But then like so much of it is just like really, I don't know, like writing code. I, part of me like really hates writing code. It's just like the most tedious, like error prone and just like, mind-numbing thing in in one sense but like another part of me just like really loves it so much because it's like the most ad, like addictive like, game of legos you could possibly play <laughs> it's just like you design the legos and then you put them together and yeah. it's just like extremely addictive in that sense and really fun but then in another sense it's just like so fucking grating when like something doesn't work especially when there's time pressure to like do something it's just like this shit just like has to work and like it's not working and it's like probably some like stupid minute thing that is like it's gonna take like eight hours to figure out that there's like some like really stupid small error here and like that kind of thinking i just like feel like it's such a fucking grind i don't know i feel like i got off topic but <laughs> oh no it's it's all on topic we're 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 a wide we're talking about a lot of fucking weird shit so <laughs> but uh one of the questions that came to mind for me was um uh, with writing, like how have you, how have you written historically just like throughout your life? Have you journaled? Have you? Yeah. I really love the idea of journaling, but I feel like I've never really given it like a honest, 
um, try. I feel like it would be great. Um, I don't know. I feel like I would really enjoy writing if, like, like if it was probably like just for me, for like just writing for my own sake. I feel like a lot of the writing I've done basically exclusively is like, it's either for class, so that like some teacher has to read it and grade it, so there's like that pressure of like catering to whatever the, you know. There's two versions of this. Like there's there's one where I'm like really catering to get a good grade, and then there's the other where I'm just like unhinged and like just like saying whatever I want to say, and that is like less good for the grade. But I feel that's kind of fun. But um, wait, give it to, when you're talking about the unhinged stuff, that's like something you've done with like graded papers and yeah. stuff like that. Or you're just, just like, like fuck it, I'm just yeah. It'll just be like some like unhinged rant about something, like especially in like sort of like writing classes, less so in more like um, sciencey classes. But like whenever there's like a writing class and like the topic is some something of sort of everyday like relevance, just like some like everyday kind of like topic. Or like more like um, whether it's like politics or that kind of thing. It's like it's fun to kind of just go on a rant. Like that's kind of fun. Mm. But yeah, and like in like elementary school, there was a lot of like creative writing that was honestly pretty painful too. Because I felt like there's a certain creative aspect to it that's nice, but then there's another where it's like this is a task that you have to do, and you're just like getting like forced into this thing. I feel like I haven't had like a, a lot of chance to just like write for its own sake for like my own edification, which might be nice. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how, how you get to a point where your relationship with like, well, not even, not even just talking about you, but like us in general. Cause I feel like it's something like universally humans could like, is beneficial you know yeah. i wonder how you get to a point where you make it make it something that is um intrinsically motivated that is just for you because yeah. like that i love that you had said you said that um because a like when we talked the other day and you were talking about like introducing like some sort of play like you were talking more about music but like i'd use that in like writing and um like those are the times where like writing elicits like those like little maybe not the super not always the like super big like deep profound moments but like ones where i'm like i'm connecting on like another plane with myself that like mm -hmm. is like a deeper sense of um an ex or a, an expression of the of a deeper nature of me mm -hmm. in a in a sense um and i wonder how, how can you introduce something like that in like school or something like that so that kids don't like get that, get that, the, the joys of what that can be shrouded in all this bullshit that is just like deadlines and writing for the sake of just like being able to mechanize things and describe things and all that. Yeah. Like what killed it for you? It was just the deadlines and like the scrutiny of the teachers and like just I think early on in elementary school I had some teachers that were like just like hard asses in not a great way. Like I think you can be a hard ass in like a productive way. 
but like they were just like very nitpicky about just like really stupid shit and just like not down to just like go with the flow in a certain way i don't know it's hard to describe when it's been a long time but i feel like i had some bad experiences there and then just like the pressure of doing well in school and having writing associated with that i feel like that kind of really killed it for me and just like having yeah having your thoughts as expressed through writing being bound to your sort of like future, like this is going in your permanent record sort of mm-hmm. way. Like if you fuck up here, like you're going to get a bad grade and then you're not going to get a good school and like having all these complexes about, you know, academics and all that stuff. I think that was counterproductive. Um, yeah. Maybe like if there was like, like writing in school that like wasn't actually graded, but then there's like the time pressure. I feel like time pressure also doesn't help. Although like there's nothing more effective for getting shit done as like having a deadline. Like that's like one of the most effective ways to like actually do something and not like fuck around and not do anything. It's like actually have a hard deadline that something has to get done. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's a hard problem. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. What do you think would get you writing now? Like in a, in a, in a way that is that like more free, just like thing. I feel like you. I have to like disassociate it with those like negative experiences. Um, I think I just like have too many negative associations with writing where it's just like a real chore. Like I don't really get much out of it and it's just like something to like, you know, placate a teacher or something or like get a grade or like something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I could like have enough experiences where I was just writing for myself and there was no sort of, there's no audience except for myself. I think if with enough experiences like that, then it could become something that I'm just like really attuned to and, you know, excited about doing because, but otherwise it's like very, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like associated with all these uh, shitty experiences of getting graded really harshly in a way that I don't think actually like like served my writing at all or like didn't serve my thinking at all or really helped me in any way. It was kind of just like penalizing me <laughs> for arbitrary reasons. Though maybe like I wasn't, you know, wise enough at the time to recognize why being penalized in those ways was actually good for me. But like, I mean, as like I'm, a 10 year old, you weren't yeah. wise. Enough. <laughs> I don't know. Like looking back at it now, it doesn't seem like they were worth it, but I don't like have like too explicit of a recollection of what the specific problems were, but I do remember it being like really stupid. I don't know. No, uh, I, I mean, I, your, your experience is obviously yours in itself but I feel like there's a lot of relatable things in like just anyone who's gone to public school or you know or gone yeah I would say mostly because maybe private some private schools do it differently or they've like looked at different ways of doing shit but the that is like the death of creativity of like true creativity like deadlines and doing all that stuff like I think that's I mean I can't tell you how many people I've heard say um 
whenever they find anything that they enjoy, they're like, I don't want to do this for money. Like, mm. cause then it's going to fucking ruin the, ruin the joy of it, you know? Mm. And, um, but the other thing is, and it's, it's just interesting that like, okay, so the purpose of those classes and, and everything is to produce people who can, um, write well, right. Like you can convey ideas and do all that, but That's then the purpose. Yeah. And then, but it, but the end result is, is that like, you fucking hate it, <laughs> you know, and it sucks the life out of something that is like, that is full of life, like at its mm -hmm. core or can be at least. I think creative writing would help a lot. Cause I feel like a lot of what is written in school is very sort of, it's kind of meant to prepare you for the corporate world in a, in a way it's like in academia, it's been preparing me to like write journal articles and scientific papers that like have to go through peer review. So that's like a very particular lane that like I'm getting trained in, but like in undergrad, it's very sort of general and like really just meant for like corporate writing work. Ultimately, I think. Like you could argue that, you know, the topics you could have like arbitrarily sort of interesting topics about sort of interesting things. But really, I think what it's training you to do is to sort of write your end of the week report to the boss on time <laughs> in like a cogent and sort of digestible manner. Right. It's not really meant to like get you to reflect and think about like what you actually think about things and like all that sort of juicy self-development type stuff that you know writing can do i will say that my experience in the psychology program at ut um there are some classes where they like remove all the pressure hmm. of that like they're well, what do they do um which class was it i guess it really doesn't matter but it was a um psychology related class that we would have um every week we would have um writing assignment where they would just give us a prompt. Um, and it was like self-graded, all that mm. stuff. You didn't actually have to turn anything in. You just mm. wouldn't, you would just, and like in the instructions, like this is for you. Don't show anyone like this, like write whatever comes to mind. Mm. Um, and there's no, uh, length limit and just like write for 15 to 20 minutes. Were these for like their writing classes or like different psych classes? Psych class. Mm -hmm. But was it like the specifically for writing no, like, like it was for okay. like a, a some some I can't remember what uh fuck. I want to say it might have been developmental psychology okay. or no. Uh I don't know. I know it wasn't like it wasn't specifically for writing. Um but it was I think it was like a a theory, a theory class. Okay. Um that sounds great. Yeah, and the one of the things that it revealed to me, um, and I don't know if because if I had just like because I'd like done some journaling and stuff up to, and I saw the power of journaling in terms of just like the the power of um, organizing all the stuff that's going on here and putting it on paper and like oh that's what I'm thinking mm -hmm. you know and being able to do stuff with that, um, but one of the things that it revealed to me was. Um, like even, even in my journal writing, I got this idea in my head at some point while listening to a podcast where 
um, someone was talking about motive, motivational in, interviewing or something like that. And they were doing like an example of, um, it was the creator of motivational interviewing, um, uh, basically. What is that exactly? What's that? What is that? Oh, you don't know? Oh, it's, um, motivational interviewing is a style, is a, um, I would guess that you could classify it as a therapeutic intervention. Um, I think it was initially created to, um, help, uh, alcoholics, mm-hmm. um, quit. And basically it's a, it's something that, um, emphasizes the individual's autonomy by like, you ask questions, you reflect their experience, um, mm-hmm. and you really emphasize their autonomy. Like whenever they, whenever, so, like you just take opportunities to be like, Oh, like you did this, like mm-hmm. it's and having them describe, like, uh, you really, it really starts from like, um, identifying values. And then you ask like, Oh, why do you value that? Like, Oh, what sort of things do you think you could do that would be reasonable in this, like to start with like really small or something like that. And mm-hmm. you kind of slowly, um, help someone, uh, self-discover what they want to do and an action plan to do that. Um, so they were the creator of motivational interviewing was, uh, uh, demonstrating it with the podcast host. And, um, the example they use is like, you know, what's something you want to do? And it's like journaling is something that I think I really need to do more of, but I don't. And he had said something to about like, um, I think one of the questions was like, what would that do for you? Like what, what would journaling do for you? And it was like, um, this, that, and the other. But one of the things like my kids might read it. And that was something that really resonated mm-hmm. with me. Cause I'm like, Oh, that would be actually kind of like a wonderful thing to like have these things. And I would like, if it's something like, I don't know if like my future kids, if they would find that interesting or like it would be useful to them I've to never thought of that. That's an interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting and it's helpful, but also at the same time it pops into my head whenever I'm journaling. And sometimes I notice myself journaling and I'm, I'm not writing for myself. Mm. I'm writing w- with like this piece of my mind. That's like someone might read this instead of being like, like being intentional and being like, no one will read this. This is for you. Write some fucking stupid shit. Like right. just free write. And this, these assignments really made that clear to me that that's what was happening. That like, yeah, I, that I needed to be intentional about, um, telling myself like, this is for you. Mm. Cause it's like the majority of our lives are spent in these things where it's not intrinsically motivated. It's not something where you're like, no one will ever read this but me. And same thing with a lot of creative stuff. Like, I think that's the sort of stuff that stops people from creating art, music, all that stuff when it's like. Our examples are people that are wildly successful professional are professionals making money doing it. But in reality, like just make shit. Like it's fun. Like, you know, you never know what you're gonna discover within yourself. And I don't know. I think exploring that is an amazing thing because one of the things that like I was describing this to you the other day of like um uninhibited just writing, like starts working the working the part of a uh, the part of my brain that is like that allows like inspiration to happen and and I think there's something and like you talking about like introducing some form of play and I think a lot of those things are very connected and I don't know I see I see patterns emerge and on different domains where I'm like oh play and not taking shit seriously is like really fucking important mm-hmm. and like it's something that we should research not only with kids, but with adults and like figure out ways to incorporate play so that we can, yeah. you know, find more joy 
in this life, be able to connect with each other, let down all the, all the guards that keep us safe and all those things. I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit at this point, but no, that's great. Yeah. I think I, don't know, I have a very, um, kind of love hate relationship with school. I've spent a lot of time in school. I've always really disliked school, but like, I really like learning and there's a lot of really great people at school and getting to interact with them. But there's something about like the actual format of schooling that is like deeply um, sort of like soul crushing in a way <laughs> that like, I think there's all these things that it is trying to cultivate in you that have such immense value, but it just, at least my experience has been that it really just, I don't know. It like turns them into a work of like the most like, uninspiring form and i feel like if we like as you said could like regain access to these things in a more playful more internally motivated way there's just so much value there and there's so much um like freedom and discovery and um, yeah i don't know there's a lot there and we're like missing out on a lot and i think school is a to blame for a lot of that though i don't know maybe there are other things but it feels like oh sure school is a big factor i would agree because it's <clears throat> it's such a pervasive part of our lives during such a critically developmental yeah. area um period and you think about school and it's in the traditional sense it's all like it's lifeless, like at the, at the, like the outcomes, the measures and all those things, it's lifeless. It's I mean, test scores. It was like literally designed after it was like the intention for the design of the format of schooling was to basically produce obedient factory workers. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the, the origins of like uh, public schooling in the U S at least vaguely. Like I've heard, I've heard that before, but yeah, I'd be curious if, to hear your thoughts. I on. don't know like the, a lot of the details, but if I remember correctly, it was something like they, they went to some Prussian dude in like the early, whenever this happened, it's either like the late 1800s or early 1900s, something like that. And basically they wanted, they had this large, uh, industrial demand that was developing because of, you know, industrial revolution and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, so they need workers to man the factories and like be managers and all this sort of stuff, but they didn't have the labor force. So they had to cultivate that. So public schooling was designed using this Prussian model of, you know, a teacher at the front of the class, everyone's sitting, facing them. Um, there's bells, that like ring at the end of each period when you shuttle the kids off to the different periods in class. Mm. And it's like very sort of like factory like and it's like regimented and um, sort of industrial format. And yeah. And I feel like we get to experience the the outcomes of that format now. Though I don't know, like Part of me thinks like there is something good about that in terms of like like if if you really did need to consume a lot of information and have it delivered to you in a highly structured and regimented format, maybe that's like 
an efficient way of doing that, but I don't know. I feel like that begs the question, is, is efficiency always better? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of information, but I don't know. Like, for example, in math, which is like a difficult subject to consume, like you really do need a lot of time and like a lot of experience with this thing to really absorb it. And it's like, how would you do this? Like if we were to have like hippy dippy math classes where like it's like really unstructured, really sort of like free play sort of way, like could we be effective in delivering this content? Um, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure there's research on this or like experiences. There's all different sorts of schools and I'm sure you could go a long way with a less regimented format for schooling. But I do think there's some use for like the more like hard sort of like formal things that you need to learn. Like you do need some kind of like almost like military like format to it because it's not something that's inherently gratifying like learning about long division is not fun it's like something that just is like a thing that is not in your brain and then it needs to be in your brain and it's like it i don't know how to like intrinsically motivate someone to you know learn about these sorts of things like arithmetic like it's not fun to learn arithmetic mm -hmm. so. one of the things that comes to mind when you're talking about this is how um like yeah that sort of style of like the way that we do it now or like having some sort of regimen and stuff like, yeah, that is, that works well in terms of getting us, um, having this stuff be learned as efficiently and quickly as possible. But like there, that's where I see like, you know, why the urgency? Like, why do we, why do we need to have no. children I mean, understand division ever again? <laughs> yeah. Like, or like, uh, you know, I can, I can totally, I can totally understand the idea that like some of the things like at the upper echelons of like the way that we use math, like you got to study a while to really get there. You know, and the problem is you don't know if like which student is going to end up needing that information later. And they do need to like, I don't think you could just start picking up math in high school or college and, you know, get to where you need to be to like be at the frontiers of those sort of like hard STEM disciplines. Like you really do need to be learning math from a very young age. Cause there's just so much of it. There's just like such a broad and like deep topic that there's no way to like reach the bleeding edge of a lot of these disciplines without having extensive experience with it going back to kindergarten. But there's no way of like predicting like who needs this experience. And like, if like one out of 50 people needs that experience, like should we subject all 50 people to the sort of grueling regimented training in mathematics? I don't know. I have a proposal for that. Cause like, I think about this a little bit in that like, okay, at the bleeding edge of math, how many people are working on that would you say? It's not even just math. It's like, like what I work in, I wish I had more experience in mathematics. So like, it's something like computational neuroscience. It's like, there's a lot of neuroscience, but then it's like somewhat bottlenecked by how receptive you are to like reading papers that are like really dense with mathematical, just like formalism. And like, you're just like, 
like I can read, like I don't, there's, I can read most papers and like understand them, but like, I wish I could read them in like one tenth the time, for example, like sometimes it'll take me like many, many hours to read a single paper where like, if it took me less time, I would definitely feel grateful. So I don't know. And there's like a lot of disciplines like that. It's not just like, it's like any, anywhere where you can apply math, you can apply it to arbitrary depth. And it's like, once that becomes the case, it's like all of the people who would want to consume all of that content will, will be sort of, um, you know, bottlenecked by their ability to understand those concepts. But then if they want to get there, they can just learn it. Yeah. They can. It's just like, there's a lot of things to learn. Yeah. But we, our average lifespan is 80 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like this, that all sort of rests on like, like we need to be like these, like super high end, like, like top of our game professionals by the mm -hmm. time we're like 30, like shit, I'll tell, I'm 32 and I'm just finishing my undergraduate and I'm fucking thrilled at where I'm at. Yeah. You know, like I, I think, I think that, that sort of, that sort of mindset while Yes, it does help us move things along quickly, but quicker isn't better. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that quicker is always better. Because yeah. like I, I really like, and let me let me get this thought out. Because I like, I really think, and maybe this isn't practical um, entirely, but like I feel like right now we do have enough scaffolding in our society to experiment with something like this, where you take more time during early childhood to figure out what kids like, mm -hmm. like let them play, let them fuck around and find out, expose them schools. I think school should be an opportunity to expose young people to the infinite possibilities that this world has to offer. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I, you know, I can't prove this, but I, I honestly think that statistically there are enough children in this, in this, like just, let's, let's just say this country that would have interests in these different areas naturally just by being exposed to them mm. that they would we would fill our needs to a certain extent and if it didn't we would adapt like we're not like it's uh, like i think we think that like um it's like we're thinking from within this closed system of like this is what this is what things have always been and like making a radical change would break all that part it's like well we're not just going to let ourselves die <laughs> we're going to figure it out. Like, and, and, and it may cause a lot of suffering too. Like, and that's not ideal. And I don't want that either, but like, I also want, um, people to feel like they have some, I don't know, to not suck the life out of all these wonderful things. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a hard one. It's really fucking hard. I definitely empathize with what you're describing. Like part of me would like to just completely abolish homework until you're in high school. Basically, I part of me thinks like kids should not be doing homework. They should be fucking around and finding out and sort of, you know, playing all the time. But then like another part of me is like the world is a rough place and like like part of these like part of what these things allow you to do is to like fend off the world. Like, you know, one of the biggest funders for math and computing advances is the defense department. And the reason why they need that is because, you know, well, there's many reasons why they want that. 
like a lot of people make money off war, but also the world is a dangerous place. And like that kind of technology like allows safety or, you know, I don't know, or like the distribution mechanisms for like goods and resources. Like there's algorithms that are determining like how to optimally distribute resources so that we can run a civilization with like, I don't know how many people there are in the US let's say like 350 million people just like how do you run this machine and like get everyone everything they need like there are algorithms and like math and shit going on underneath the hood that like allows this level of civilization and it's like there's almost like a a life and death aspect to this like this information isn't just like me to like fuck around thinking about the brain it's like there's a like hard like rubber meets the road sort of realities that it is serving so i don't know yeah yeah it's hard it's 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 so hard but i i also like cuz like these are we're talking hypotheticals i certainly wouldn't um like if this is something that were to be tried right mm. like we wouldn't just be like all right let's every school across the country mm. just like stop doing this thing right? right like but um i don't know then this is this is just an idea um that i've thought of but don't know if it's it's even viable or enough people would go for it to where it would be viable but like um making us creating a school that is entirely like let's test some some of this shit out mm -hmm. and see what happens and make it to where like it's a very um i don't know because there's a lot as, as soon as i say that it would like it like you know you don't want to test on people's lives right like it would still mm -hmm. you would still have to be able to guarantee to a certain extent that like um it wouldn't uh, negatively impact the people who was, who were part of that, those trials, right? Like, um, I feel like one negative dynamic that ends up happening is that this kind of testing ends up deployed, um, with like rich people. And mm -hmm. then like the, the rich schools get all these like fancy sort of like, you know, free flowing, like experimental, instruction techniques and then they get to you know get all the benefits whatever they are but also don't have as much as the as much of like the potential downside because they already are in like a higher socioeconomic class so they have less potential for just like not making it or like i don't know they've got more of a safety net they have like... more of a safety net but then there's this imbalance of like, but then like all the poor kids have to deal with fractions of like, you're never going to have to deal with, you're never going to have to like compute a fraction almost ever in your life or do long division. Like no one does long division ever. It's like we have calculators. There's no reason to do this. Mm -hmm. but like there's this imbalance there, but then also another dynamic is that like, if you deploy that sort of experimental, um, curriculum in the more low socioeconomic circumstances then um you risk sort of not giving those people the opportunity to like have access to these later um later opportunities like um particularly in stem 
though i don't know like maybe with the advent of ai like no one needs to be going into stem because all the robots are going to be doing all the work <laughs> so like this is a moot point <laughs> I'll just yeah. play at the end, end of the day but i don't know i'm the thing is i'm not like terribly familiar with um the actual like reality of the situation mm -hmm. like i'm sure there's a lot of um programs and like innovation and advancement in all these curriculums i'm just like very ignorant oh same i mean that's why this is just like a very this is like this is a thought you know i certainly am not going to like go to my doctoral program and be like let's build a school and take some people and like do all this and be like no we'd have to kind of like there would be so much to consider right like yeah. there and i imagine like even implementing something like this it would have to be like start at like the tiniest of scales like let's um let's add an extra like hour of recess oh, yeah. to, you know what I mean? Or like, like do these, cause like it's, it's always going to be slow. You don't, I don't, I don't, I've got no illusions that like folks are going to go for like this drastic, huge change, you know, people are very conservative with their kids. Of course they're not. I don't know. Some people <laughs> That's, are not. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. But like it, from my sense is that like people, are less risk averse when it comes to whatever things that they're having their kids do. Um, yeah. Or more risk averse, you mean? Oh yeah. More risk averse. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> Stuff. Uh, no, that's, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. It's just, I don't know. I think that's why I want to get into the to the education system stuff in general. Cause it's like, I just noticed so much, so much like so much disconnect so much like sucking the life out of things and then um you know and it's it's tough because then it's like all right you look at someone like you you don't like writing but you are actively like you are a good writer and you like <laughs> and you get the stuff done regardless and you are at like a very high level in terms of like your professional um pursuits you know so like if anything if like pe proponents of that system would be like well it worked you know like but at the end of the day you don't like it like <laughs> i don't like it and we don't know like how much better things could be or how much worse things could be it's kind of like a you have to fuck around to find out and yeah. like there's there's all these like alternative realities that we don't have access to but there's room for experimentation for sure yeah lots of stuff to think about man um i don't know about you but i'm i'm feeling like we're at a good stopping point does that feel yeah. right yeah i feel like my brain is slowly like, we talked about a lot of dense shit for a bit there but like oh it's so juicy like i don't know i think uh it's so i love like watching the like start unfold and then just like mm -hmm. i have these moments um in the middle of our conversation i'm like oh this is so much like like i'm having fun during it but of like course. like there's a there's an acknowledgement during it i'm like yeah. oh this is fucking sick like yeah, we should do this more we can do that i mean we can also we can also hang out as much as possible yeah. too because i mean shit like there's so much too like you're so busy with grad school and all this stuff and i'm about to well hopefully be starting a big boy job here soon but regardless like every time we get together it's so much fun yeah. like i it's very very energizing i always find myself just being full of energy after our conversations which is really good same yeah. same that's like it's so funny when i think about like i used to consider myself like such a huge introvert and i feel like 
you know, and maybe there to a certain extent, like there are people who are who are like, regardless of the depth of the connection uh, of uh, that they feel with someone like they will always or have like a shorter battery life in general. But like, I feel like the depth of the connection extends that battery life, mm. you know, and it, for me, it's made me feel like, I don't know like extroverted in mm. sense. Cause even like before you coming over, I was like, man, I'm a little tired today. But then we sit down and start chatting. I'm like, boop, yeah. boop, boop, boop. <laughs> I feel like the same thing. I was like, should I cancel? No, don't. Cancel. <laughs> I, was like, I was just so tired. I just like had a headache and yeah, but it's been amazing. Hell yeah. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this. It's awesome.